Welcome to the Marriage Day Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. We're so glad that you're joining us. We're now beginning a four-week series on a topic called I Am Abraham. We're talking about the faith of Abraham and how to have your marriage and family blessed by the issue of faith, which is huge. And so before we do that, we're going to do some answer some questions from some of you guys that write these in. And by the way, if you want to submit a question to us, it's just marriagetodaypodcast.com. Submit your question. We would love to answer it right here on the podcast. So Karen, let me begin with you. Um, my husband is liking photos on social media of other women he is friends with. This makes me uncomfortable. How do I talk to him about this? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's a lot of couples out there that have a problem with this because, yeah. you know, it's it's one thing to like people on social media, but it's another thing if it's women, you know, that I, I, I mean, I can understand why she would have, you know, issues of trust, it's, you know, why. But um, I don't do social media, so I it's hard for me to understand all that. But I do know that it can be a dangerous thing, you know. Um, it's just wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just uh, – and I've heard this statistic, and I don't know if this is accurate, but one statistic that I heard was half of all affairs start on social media. Mm-hmm. And it begins with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I like you. Innocent little. Yeah, you're, you're, you're fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, I like you. Do you like me? And I say this and you say this. And uh, you need to be very careful. And if your spouse, your spouse should have your passwords, your spouse should have un- unhindered access to your phone, your computer, all those. There mm-hmm. should not be any secrets that you have. And when your spouse says something to you like, you know, that makes me feel uncomfortable that you're uh, liking mm-hmm. people of the opposite sex. On so him. how can she talk to him about it without him being... Uh, defensive. Well, if he is defensive, they need to go to counseling. Mm-hmm. And you just need to get, get to a place to where your husband would listen to you. And someone that has authority in his life would be able to say to him, mm-hmm. hey, knock it off. Well, I think that's one of the things I've always appreciated about you. Um, you've never kept anything from me. You know, we've always been very open and honest about everything in our life. And, you know, we don't do social media, but, you know, we have computers, we have phones. And I know that I can get into your phone and your computer anytime I want. I mean, you know, and same with you and me. It's just, you know, I think that anything that you keep, you know, away from each other, it's not a good thing. And Well, it, emotionally it separates. Mm-hmm. And so if you have secrets and you start this secret life over here of, you know, fishing, you know, exploring this world over here, that your spouse isn't a part of, it begins an emotional divide, which ends up in an affair. Even if it's just an emotional affair, Mm -hmm. you're separated. And so you have to work at staying one in the relationship, and that just means we're one. And if I'm doing something that makes you feel uncomfortable, I want you to tell me, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than being defensive. Let me say, as a pastor for 40 years, I've seen tons of marriages break up over stuff like this. Mm -hmm. And it starts out, and they say, well, it's just innocent. No, it's not innocent at all. It's a very, very dangerous thing. Um, Okay. When we got married a couple of years ago, we moved in with my mom to save money and save up for our first home. Now I feel like she has become too dependent on us. How do we create healthy boundaries now that we are moving out on our own? Yeah, I think just it's a good thing to have family to live with. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was very gracious, obviously, to let them stay with her uh, like that. And I think it would be a natural thing to become dependent, you know, Mm -hmm. if you have your kids living with you and somebody Mm -hmm. to live for you and, Mm -hmm. you know, go over here for you and stuff. Uh, Now that you're moving out on your own, you need to sit down and have a conversation with Mm -hmm. her, loving conversation. Mom, thanks you so much. You've been so nice to us. 
we're moving out on our own. And so, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and if she is too dependent upon you, uh, that there needs to be just a conversation that says, hey, we can't do that. You know, we'll see every weekend, we'll see you this much, but we can't be over here every day. You know, we can't mm -hmm. do this as much as we used to. And it, it's a, it, just a loving conversation, and it may be hard for her. Mm -hmm. uh, she's grown dependent. You know, she obviously likes having them there, probably. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. That's mm -hmm. all a good thing. But in the in moving out, you do have to have boundaries. You mm -hmm. do have to have a certain – you have to leave to cleave. And in living with your mom, I don't know how that's affected your marriage, but typically it'll affect it in a negative way. There's not as much alone time. Mm -hmm. There's not as much separation. Mm -hmm. So gaining the separation is a good thing. Just don't communicate rejection or lack of appreciation. Well, it's the first commandment, honor your mother and your father. Absolutely. So, you know, you can show honor and kindness and love, but still don't have to be under, you yeah. know, you're, you're married now. So. Yeah. The, the health of your marriage and family is, is paramount mm -hmm. as you honor and love your mother. Mm -hmm. in that. That's good. We hope that's helpful to you. We're going to go now to this uh, I'm Abraham teaching. I'm talking about the issue of faith and understanding five facts about faith that are just the bedrock of our relationship with God. Stay tuned. Faith has a relationship with the Word of God that is very unique. And here's what faith believes. The most powerful force in the universe is the Word of God. This is my relationship with the Bible. Now see, the Bible's under full-scale assault in our world today, right? The Bible's under full-scale assault. But what faith believes is, I believe that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that what I see was created by what I couldn't see. Here's what Jesus said, or here's what it says about Jesus in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Hmm, that's interesting. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word made everything. He was in the beginning with God, right? We, we believe that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Got that? Most powerful force in the universe, right? Well, here's what Jesus said about the word. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So let me tell you reality. The word of God preceded the universe. The word of God created the universe and the word of God will exist after the universe is gone. Heaven and earth will pass away. My word will not pass away. By faith, we believe that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. This is the most powerful force in the universe. This is everything to a person of faith. I don't have a convenient relationship with this book. I've based my entire adult life on this book, and I know that this book is real, and it's right, and it existed before the universe. It made the universe. It will exist after the universe, and that's why the devil has to take it away from you. He understands the power of this book, and he wants you to have a convenient relationship with this book. Jesus defeated Satan himself in the wilderness after he had fasted for 40 days. With very little energy in his body, he fought the devil himself, and the devil came to him three times and with a lie or a half-truth, and three times our Savior said, it is written, and quoted three scriptures and defeated Satan himself. 
And the first words the devil ever spoke to a human being on this planet were, has God surely said? Putting doubt in Adam and Eve about the integrity of God's word. Because this is the sword of the spirit. This is nuclear. And he can't defeat you till he disarms you. And if he's going to rob you of your faith, he's going to come to you concerning this word and he's going to put doubt in your mind concerning this word. Because this word is God. This word isn't something, it's someone. Second Timothy 3 says all scripture is inspired by God. And the word inspired means the breath of God. This is alive. You, you read other books, this book reads you. This is alive. Hebrews chapter four says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's alive, it's powerful. And to a person of faith, we don't have a convenient relationship with this book. If God said it, that settles it, I'm gonna do it. And I will not receive an accusation from the devil or anybody else about the integrity of this book. This book and the words of this book and the truth that they represent, they were here before the universe, they made the universe, and they'll be here long after the universe goes up in smoke. There was a science cannot prove evolution and cannot disprove anything the Bible says as hard as they try. Dr. Hugh Ross is an astrophysicist. And um, I read, I've read several of his books. He's brilliant. And he uh, became a Christian by reading the Bible. He was interested in religions, and he began to read all the religious books of the world, the main religions of the world. He read their books, and he said, when I started reading the religious books of the world, there were, they just didn't make any clear comments about anything. They were just kind of, you know, good advice and saying this and saying this. And he said, I really was getting discouraged about religion until I read the Bible. He said, as an astrophysicist, I was looking for a book that had authority. And he said, when I read the Bible, the first thing that got, uh, got my attention was Genesis 1. Because Genesis 1, Moses, who was a shepherd, Moses wrote Genesis 1. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, Moses gives the 12 events of creation. And here's what Dr. Hugh Ross said. They're in the exact order they have to be in according to astrophysics. According to science, if you're going to create a universe, you would have to do it in the exact sequence that Moses listed. He said, and then I read the rest of the Bible and what it said about the constellations before they were ever discovered, that the world was round before anyone ever proved that it was round. All the scientific evidence of the Bible is exactly right. And he said, based on the science of the Bible, I put my faith in Christ and became a Christian. Dr. Anthony Flew was the leading intellectual atheist for many years. He debated C.S. Lewis. My father-in-law, Karen's dad, financed a debate between Dr. Anthony Flew and Roy Varghese. Roy Varghese was a brilliant person. And uh, for many years, Dr. Anthony Flew debated Christians uh, over the you know, validity of God in Christianity. And you know, the believers would say what they said, and Dr. Flew would say what he said. Now, Dr. Roy Varghese was a very brilliant man, and he debated Dr. Flew. Well, in 2004, Dr. Anthony Flew, after more than 50 years of being an atheist, 
publicly stated that he was renouncing his atheism and he now believed in God based on science. And one of the most brilliant men in the world, here's what he said. The most recent scientific discoveries have proven to me the existence of God. He said, there is no way with the universe we're discovering how complex the universe is and through human DNA. We're discovering how complex human life is. He said, nothing that complex could happen by chance. It has to be by intelligent design. Somebody say amen. amen. By faith we believe that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that what is visible was made out of the invisible. Somebody say amen. amen. And that's what a person of faith believes. I have no doubt that the word of God created all of these things and that what I can see is made by what I can't see. Let me say one other thing. The control realm is the invisible realm. We don't control God, God controls us. The control realm is not the United States of America. The, United, the control realm is the kingdom of Almighty God. The government doesn't tell God what he can do. God tells the government what they can do. And so we, we must understand that our relationship with the word of God is critical. Okay, number two, fact about faith. This is Hebrews 11, four. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. Here's fact number two about faith. The higher the priority God is in our lives, the greater our faith will naturally function. Okay? When God came, it says by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Well, you have to have a word of God to have faith. You, you don't just put your faith in something. You have to have a word from God, either written or spoken into your heart, and they always agree. The Bible and what God speaks to your heart will always agree. So God came to Abel and Cain and said, I want you to bring me an offering. And uh, he may have been more specific than that, but he, he said, I want you to bring me an offering. Well, Abel went home, and Abel got the first fat portion of his flock, the very best thing he had, genetically the best. Okay, And he brought it to God, and uh, it says that God regarded Cain's or regarded Abel's offering. He accepted it. It was it was good to God. Cain went home and got some produce. wasn't anything special. It wasn't living, and it wasn't his best. And he brought it to God. And the Bible says that God would not regard Cain's offering. And Cain became very angry and ultimately killed Abel. You remember? Well, you naturally operate on the level of faith that represents your relationship with God. Faith isn't just doing what God says. Faith reveals our relationship with God. Faith can only be released to the degree that we believe that God is intimately present and ultimately good. Now listen to this about Enoch. Now, Enoch, um, God didn't go away when uh, man sinned. When, when God kicked uh, Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, God didn't leave. He was there walking and talking with Cain and Abel. And God was still on the earth. Okay, here's what it says in Genesis 5.24 about Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Okay? And we know from, uh, from Hebrews that he never died. God took Enoch alive to heaven. Now, let me say something just anecdotally about that. Enoch and Elijah are the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. There were only two men in the Old Testament that didn't die. It was Enoch and Elijah, and God took them alive to heaven. It's very possible. I believe we're living in the end times. It's possible that Enoch is on the earth right now. Enoch and Elijah. I mean, I don't know that, but I'm saying I believe we're living in the end times. And Enoch, he will come back at some point. 
But the Bible says he walked with God. He walked with God. This means an intimate, an intimate relationship with God. Well, listen to me for just a minute. Our God is so relational that he created this earth as a paradise and put two people on it and intended to live here on this earth with us forever. That's God was, that was God's intention. We know that because God's going to live with us forever on a new earth in the new Jerusalem forever and ever. That was God's intention. He's so relational. Even after they sinned, he was still hung around. But remember, when Adam and Eve were here on the earth, Satan came and accused God to them. And uh, he said, uh, uh, Eve said to the devil, said, God told us if we eat that fruit that we would die. And the devil said, you're not going to die. He's a bully. He knows that when you eat that fruit, you're going to be better off. And he's trying to keep you from being better off. And the devil made an accusation against God that right then created a division between man and God. Because there, there was this accusation in men's mind about the integrity of God. Enoch, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but not too much, so just bear with me. No one really got too close to God after the fall. I mean, it says that Abel gave God a good offering, but it doesn't say anything else. Cain was incredibly disrespectful to God. When God showed up after he didn't accept Cain's offering, God was so relational, he followed Cain home and tried to plead with him to do the right thing. And, and Cain was extremely disrespectful. But Enoch was unique. He was a unique person on the earth. And here's what I believe. This I'm going to take a little liberty here, but, but here's what I believe about Enoch. Enoch was a noticer. And Enoch sat back thinking to himself, he, he likes us. Now, why don't we believe he likes us? He's, he's always hanging around. He's always walking and talking with us. Even when we sinned, he didn't leave. I think he likes us. I think he likes being in our presence. And you know what? I'm just going to check that out. I'm going to go hang around him and see if I, I get killed or not. And then he goes and starts hanging around God. And as he starts hanging around God, he notices he is so good-natured. Why don't people like him? Why, why don't people come around him more? And Enoch just developed this very intimate relationship with God based on the fact that God loves our presence and he's a good God. By faith, Enoch walked with God and he was no more. And without that kind of faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, just like Enoch, you have to believe that God is intimately in your presence and he's a rewarder. He's not a bad God, he's a good God. How, you know, I mean, it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter if I put faith in God if he's out there in the universe somewhere and doesn't care about me. It doesn't matter if I put faith in God if he's mad at me all the time. And that's what the devil wants you to believe. The devil wants you to believe either A, God's not around, he doesn't care about you, you're not significant enough to worry about, or B, he's ticked at you. you, you do, you've done the same dumb thing a thousand times and told him you wouldn't. He doesn't want to hang around you. You're not worth hanging around. That's what he wants us to believe. And it's, easy to, it's an easy sell for a lot of us. But I've got some news for you. God says in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that's exactly what he means. Our God is with us and our God is a good God. Our God is with us and our God is a good God. Our God is with us and our God is a good God. And if you believe that, you'll act by faith. If you don't believe that, you won't. But Enoch just noticed something. Enoch just noticed something. Why does he like hanging around us so much? Let me answer that question. Because we're made as his children in his image, and he loves his family. You are God's family. Hebrews 11, 7. 
By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. This is fact number four about faith. Faith acts with confidence that God knows and controls the future and wants to guide us to safety and success, okay? So God comes to Noah, God's gonna flood the world, okay? Uh, Noah is about 590 something years old or so when God shows up. I mean, he's, he's very old. He's 600 years old when he steps on the ark and God floods the earth. So he's very old and God comes to Noah and says to him, I'm gonna destroy the earth. It had never rained on the earth. He's gonna build a ship, not a, not a canoe, not a boat, not a yacht. He's gonna build a massive ship, very, very large ship on dry ground and it's never rained before. A mist came from the earth. It's never rained on the earth. There's never been a flood. This is the most ridiculous thing in the world and, and Noah and his seven relatives are the only believers on the earth. God's gonna destroy the rest of the earth because they're evil and wicked. And Noah immediately builds an ark. Think about it. Think about your chances of doing that if God spoke that to you. You're going to be ridiculed. It's going to take, this is going to de define the rest of your life. The chances of some force lifting this ark off the ground are, it's never happened before. And everything you're doing, you're doing banking on the fact that what God is saying to you is right. And Noah did it. And Noah did it based on three things. God knows the future. God controls the future. And if I'll follow God, he'll lead me into the future safely and successfully. Does God know the future? Does God know the future? Of course, a third of the Bible's prophecy. God knows. Does God control the future? Well, he couldn't predict it if he didn't control it. Does God desire to lead you into the future safely and successfully? That's why we seek the Lord. The, the reason that we seek the Lord when we're making decisions, I can't see tomorrow. I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. I don't know what people are gonna do. I don't know what the world's gonna do. God knows tomorrow, God controls tomorrow, and if I listen to him, he'll lead me into tomorrow safely and successfully. That's why we seek the Lord. And again, the devil loves to accuse God to us that God doesn't know the future, that God doesn't control the future, or somehow God doesn't desire us to have a good future. This is Jeremiah 29, 11 that many of you have heard before, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Now, you know, women will tell you what you're thinking. You know that. All the married men here know that, you know, your wife wants to tell you what you're thinking. Karen, Karen says, you know, I know what you're thinking. And when she does that, I put on a helmet. And so she can't see me, my thoughts. So, so the children of Israel are telling God what he thinks about them. You don't love us. You don't care for us. You don't care about our future. And the Lord's defending himself. Don't you tell me what I think about you. I know my thoughts. Here's what God says, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace. And that, that's the word shalom. It means total well-being. Thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. And I want to say something to you right now. God knows your future. God controls your future and God is madly in love with you as your heavenly daddy and he wants to lead you into a safe, successful future. Somebody say amen. amen. And that's why we seek him. That's why we seek him. That's why we trust him. That's why we follow him without proof is the integrity of his love. 
the integrity of the relationship that we had with him. And when God shows up to Noah and God says to Noah, I'm about to destroy the earth because of sin, build this huge ark, this unprecedented thing on the earth. Noah's like, great. By faith, Noah. By faith, Noah. Fact number five. Faith focuses on what is spiritual and eternal more than what is material and temporary. Okay, faith. We have faith in God. Our faith is something that is a, a very spiritual thing. And faith tells us to change. Faith, if you're following God, God's gonna tell you to change. God's gonna tell you to step out. God's gonna tell you to do something without evidence. That's what faith is. If, it, if you had evidence, you wouldn't need faith. So God comes to Abraham and Ur of the Chaldees, his, where he had lived all of his life and all of his ancestors had lived. God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to leave and go to a place, I'm not gonna tell you where it is. And in Hebrews 11, the language that's used in Hebrews 11 means while those words were still ringing in his ears, he walked out. He didn't delay. He didn't labor over it. Abraham walked off. Abraham walked away from everything he had. And listen to me. It says, for, I think that Abraham was 75 when he walked out of Ur of the Chaldees and he died at 175 years old. For 100 years, he lived in tents. Uh, Ur of the Chaldees, by the way, was the cultural center of that day. It was a very, very sophisticated city. So he walked away from culture and comfort and went and lived in tents for a hundred years and his relatives lived in tents. Listen, Abraham never owned a piece of property except for Sarah's grave. Generations later, the children of Israel would come and possess the land. But Abraham was a wanderer. The minute that God came to Abraham and said, I want you to leave. I want you to go to a place. I'm not gonna tell you where it is. It says that Abraham walked out because what Abraham wanted was a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I wanna thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.